This is WOWDLP Tacoma Park 94.3 FM. Artist Experience Radio Show, and I'm Sheila Blake. Today, because our recording engineer, Peter, is traveling in Portugal, we're airing a show originally broadcast in the spring of 2018. At that time, there was an extraordinary exhibition of Cezanne portraits at the National Gallery in Washington, and we used that occasion to dig into the basic question of art. How does art work? Here at the Artist Experience Radio Show, we're always grappling with that question, how does art work? Modernism is one of the major loads of exploration for us. We, of course, also look at postmodern art and Renaissance art and all kinds of art. As you can see from the 120 shows that are available on our website, modernism is rich in things to explore. Cezanne is a major touchstone. His discoveries allowed artists to free themselves from the bonds of naturalism and narrative. Every art movement, including modernism, can be seen as an attempt to create a rich aesthetic experience by discarding what had previously been considered essential. These were now seen as illusions to be gotten out of the way in order to penetrate to the fundamental source of life. Cezanne turned away from imitating the way things appear to the eyes that are trained to see perspective and conventional expectations of beauty. He tried to penetrate to the mystery of existence. He discovered a way of creating an image in the mind that the viewer did not depend on imitating the surfaces of objects and people in this world. The artist's task is to create an image And the viewer's task is to meet that image halfway between what appears to him on the canvas and what resonates in the imagination. What I mean by this is, the viewer might initially see a dab of blue paint, a dab of orange, some greens, and it appears as just that, dabs of paint. 
But by allowing yourself to breathe in that vision or breathe in that air, this becomes alive in what I can only call is the imagination, the space between the canvas and the viewer's mind. What Cezanne had to do in order to achieve this was to forget what he had learned. He had to forget what he had seen and the conventions that he had learned about painting. So in order to do that, he had to trust the his sensations, the purity of sensations, and those are the dabs of paint that you see. They're called his petit sensation, like his little sensations that he says allowed him to forget the precedence. So the French philosopher Merleau-Ponty, Maurice Merleau-Ponty, wrote an essay that is famous, and it's called Cézanne's Doubt. And what it addresses is the fact that Cézanne, when he was drawing, he never just had one line. He had maybe three lines. Because, as Cézanne said, he could look a little to the left or a little to the right and see a different contour. And if he stood just a little bit over one side to the other, he had a whole new composition to draw. So um, in this forgetting is really what Merleau-Ponty is calling Cézanne's doubt. And according to him, at the moment of creation, the painter had first to forget all that he had learned of in the conventions and in turn use convention to attempt to recapture his vision. And, and it's an uncertain or doubtful operation. This is why Cezanne is a touchstone. After him, artists were called to travel and to return from the fundamental sources of reality beyond appearance. This belief was central to the mythology of modernism. You could say that postmodernism resulted when artists rebelled, saying there was nothing behind the curtain. Everything is already visible. Just take a look. As Frank Stella said, what you see is what you see. But I think to love art, we can continually return to modernism and drink from its waters. And Cezanne is a great place to start. So we are repeating our earlier program to follow our last show, which was on Cezanne drawing. And we hope to reinforce some of the ideas that were presented there. So let's begin. The Artist Experience radio program has a unique mission. We look into the inward experiences of engagement with art and we desire to make them explicit, both in the creator and in you, our listeners. We try to bring them to light. Unfolding these experiences into larger, brighter, more richly contoured surfaces, transforming a vague awareness into definite knowledge. 
It's the experience of art that is our core subject and that is never truer than when we discuss the master of the earliest 20th century, Paul Cezanne. If you approach him from the outside, you will miss him. If you approach him psychologically, you will miss him. You can read about him in hundreds of books, but if you want to understand him, you will play Pay close attention to the following show. Well, today we're going to take you to the West Wing of the National Gallery of Art in D.C. to talk about Paul Cezanne and his portraits. Paul Cezanne lived from 1839 until 1906. This is a very important time in France and a very important time in French painting. I titled the program Cezanne Portraits, Exploration, Experimentation, and Evolution. These three E's, as in the letter of the alphabet, are very important in the development of an artist in one's lifetime, and I believe Cezanne exemplifies this very well in an artist's journey. Not only a journey in an artist working in one's medium, but in his changing use of materials, his subjects, and his tangential roads that, uh, that he made and that artists make to find their own visual voice. This evolution of an artist is very well exemplified in Cezanne in this exhibition. Cezanne was a journeyman, a dreamer, a searcher, an inventor, a trailblazer, and one fearless artist. But Cezanne, as a portrait artist, he is mainly known for his intimate, colorful, still-life paintings and landscapes and watercolors and oils. This exhibition is the first of its kind to highlight the portraits of this post-impressionist painter. I think it's a daring exhibition to host just his portraits. But what about these portraits, Sheila? Uh, what are the curatorial risks in Cezanne, who's lesser known for his portraits? Well, I'm going to start. There's a great quote from John Singer Sargent, who was one of America's great portrait painters, as well as my favorite watercolorist. He said, a portrait is a painting with something wrong with the mouth. <laughs> I'm going to get back to this quote because it's really important when it comes to Cezanne's portraits. And until Cezanne, and even now, the great portrait painter made their currency by creating a reflection of a real person, someone who is sympathetic and relatable. As a viewer, you become the voyeur, looking right at the subject, a society lady, a banker, Napoleon, Rembrandt himself, and without them looking back. So creating a likeness like that is a talent, and it's an amazing thing to behold, but that's not who Cezanne is. Here are some quotes from Cezanne. The fact is one doesn't paint souls, one paints bodies, and when the bodies are well painted, the soul, if there is one, of every part of the body blazes and shines through. He wrote to Henri Gasquet, his boyhood friend, an art which isn't based on feeling isn't an art at all. Feeling is the principle, the beginning and end, craft, objective, technique. All these are in the middle between you and me, Henri, between what makes up your particular character and mine, there is a world, the sun, that which is transient, that which we both see. Our dress, our flesh, our reflections, that's what I have to concentrate on. That's where the slightest error with the brush can send everything off course. If I am moved by emotion alone, then your eyes go askew. If we weave around your expression the infinite network of little blues and browns which are there will marry together i will make you look out from my canvas as you do in life one stroke after the other 
one after another. And if I am just cold, if I draw a paint as they do in the schools, then I will cease to see anything. A conventional mouth and nose is always the same. No soul, no mystery, no passion. Well, thank you for that. And uh, in reading uh, books on Cezanne, there's a lot of quotes and there's a lot mm-hmm. of documentation about what he said to his fellow artists, to his friends. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole show in itself. Yes. And uh, we have a lot to share about this exhibition. And I mean a lot to say, as Cezanne represents one of the great pillars of modern art. So his legacy is extremely important, and it's long. We do have to give a bit of bile, though, and we're going to try to make it quick about this prophetic master. <laughs> Paul Cezanne was born 100 years before me in 1839 in oh Aix-en-Provence. My, oh, <laughs> Sheila, you look fabulous <laughs> for looking 100 years younger than Cezanne. Oh, thank oh, you. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. <laughs> well, he was, Cezanne was an excellent student, and he became boyhood friends with Henri Gasquet, who we just uh, he was just writing to, and Emile Zola, the Zola. Uh, they had a free, idyllic friendship, and when they became young men, Zola moved to Paris. They all did back then, and Zola became a writer, and he prevailed on Cezanne to join him in Paris, but Paul's father would only allow him to study art if he completed his law degree. How many fathers are like that? <laughs> he studied painting in Paris and at the Academy Suisse, and he went to the Louvre every single day. He had formal training at the Academy Suisse, but he was always educating himself in museums, kind of like an athlete. Ah, very good, Mm. yes. I think it's important to know that Cezanne's early paintings were harsh and unpolished. He had learned the conventions of painting, but he broke away from those traditions of European painting, and he was striving to do something completely new. The short-sighted members of the Academy ruled that his paintings didn't qualify him for the École des Beaux-Arts, so he went back to Aix to live with his family. Like Van Gogh, who was born 14 years later, he was the opposite of refined. The refinement would come later. Emile Zola published a novel about a painter who was a failed genius, hardly discernible from his friend Paul, and it was a betrayal of their boyhood confidences. And it broke his trust with Zola, and for anyone close to him, Paul was sensitive and abrasive, and few friends could sustain a relationship with him. Cezanne's father, Louis Auguste, was a banker and coldly disapproved of his son, although there's a truly wonderful early portrait that Paul did of him reading the newspaper, the L'Avant-Mont, in which Zola had published a piece. So he probably really wouldn't have been reading that paper um, because it was a, a more radical newspaper. Early on, he had to rely on family members as for sitters. And there are many paintings of his um, uncle, Dominic, with a hat or as a monk, who was patient to sit through many, many sittings. There's a solidity in their forms, no drama, but already monumental. His mother was more sympathetic to Paul. Cezanne met Hortense Fouquet when she was 19 and he was 30. They often lived apart, and they had one child, Paul, who he loved. And he and Hortense eventually married, I think about 19 years later after they met. But he kept this relationship secret from his parents for years until a letter arrived at his father's house addressed to him, Madame Cezanne, and Fils. And that's when they found out that he had a wife and a child. 
Cezanne painted her 28 times and made many drawings. When his father died, he left him part of his fortune, and so Paul continued to live at the Jardin du Buffon, which he painted many times and was sold. And then he had a studio built in X, which you can go to and see today, and that is a thrill. It looks as though Cezanne just left paint for a little while and it would be coming back for tea. Yes, yes, oh, that's exactly oof. right. <laughs> Around 1890, Cezanne began to suffer from diabetes and 10 years later, his reputation began to soar. He was irritable, shy, and when our students would make the pilgrimage to X, he often turned them away. Well, when I was a student as well, I was very interested in these very lightly abstracted paintings, watercolors by Cezanne. And then I found out about these thickly painted portraits that introduced here the exhibition in Washington. There's a lot of experimentation in his work and a kind of careless bravado, which I really like in an artist. I began ruminating on these works and the person making them. I concluded a few things that fascinate me about Cezanne, the person. Well, he was definitely a rough-and-tumble kind of guy. He was intense, abrasive, irascible, as you mentioned, very gruff. But yet he was extremely intuitive and, and physical. And, in, and then he had that sensitivity, which was poetic, thoughtful, mm -hmm. dreamy, and aloof. So these uh, personality traits I kind of respond to in a person, and I wanted to study him more. It was known that he would be walking down the street, and he would see Manet and Sisley and Renoir on the street, and he would totally turn his head down and ignore them and just walk right past them, and, and that really confused his friends. And he did that to harm some people some ways, excuse me. <coughs> I became curious about his spiritual life and even his religious life because some of his works to me were were very rich and and deep in a kind of soulfulness that I kind of responded to and I could be wrong but there was a raw purity in them and that I found uh, spiritual I think they are very honest works and his uh, uh, ex de uh, en Provence was his uh, domicile and that was his spiritual home and I think that's very important that that, that our listeners know that that's where he was happiest and he was very vocal about it his whole life and lastly this thing about fearless experimentation and evolution he took many turns both geographically and also physically in his work he evolved as an artist in many profound ways and he was not afraid and that fearlessness, which we talked about in another show um, previously, was really what he was searching for his visual voice. If you just joined us, you're listening to the Artist Experience Radio Program here at WOWD Tacoma Radio, 94.3 FM. Today we are repeating a show that we did on Cezanne portraits about two years ago because of our previous show that we've just done on Cezanne drawing. Sheila, um, you know, when we think of him as, as really the pillar of, of modernism, as Cezanne, what about that legacy? Mm. Well, that's what I'm going to try to explain. Cezanne found a way to rebuild the world in paint. 
He did this with the most subtle modulation of brushstrokes, like building blocks using warm and cool colors to create form that actually seemed to be lit from within. Cezanne painted a face the same way he painted an onion or a stone or an apple, but he loved that onion and he loved that stone and he loved that apple and that face. He was clumsy at first, but he found something that put him in a parallel with God, remaking the world. When you first come into the room, Cezanne's paintings look flat. The perspective is off, which flattens things out, and then he fools around with negative space, making that the light come forward through the trees or through the, um, you know, in the negative shapes. And so you might think that the image is an improvised impression. Our eyes are so trained to looking at perspective, as in the perspective in photographs or every painting since the Renaissance, that our eyes are confused. So how do you look at it? First realize that the perspective is not classical. You might be looking straight ahead at the face and down at the lap or the desk. Things tilt. Edges don't join up behind the objects. And the apples seem to be spilling off the table. But keep on looking. And here's when we make the art experience explicit. Keep on looking. Realize that every brushstroke was meant exactly, every single one. Sometimes Cezanne contemplated a single brushstroke for 20 minutes. Look at, say, an eyelid or anything. You improvise as the viewer. Think, why did he put that brushstroke there? Or something like that. And when the eyelid pops into three dimensions, some switch has been thrown in your visual perception. And then you're ready the whole thing pops into a three-dimensional space. That's where it gets exciting. The air, things emerging out of the blue void in a similar way that Michelangelo bought the David out of a block of marble. Right, he brings he brings it out of the canvas yes, in a, in a he very does. magical way. He does, yeah, but a, you really have to look. You have to just stand there and look. When I was teaching, I would tell my students I would put a, a, a print of a Cezanne on the wall, and I would make them look at it for four minutes without saying anything, without responding. Just look. Four minutes is a long time when oh, you're just doing is. that. Yeah, you a know? lot of people can't do that. <laughs> right, right. So Cezanne discovered something totally new that was beyond Impressionism. Impressionism made important discoveries, which he learned. But he wanted to reintegrate back into the now transformed state of painting. He wanted to bring back the solidity that he saw in the great paintings that he loved in the Louvre. The Impressionists, particularly Pissarro, conceived painting not as the incarnation of imagined scenes, but as the exact study of appearances, working from nature. Impressionism was trying to capture the very way which objects strike our eyes and attack our senses. Objects were depicted as they appear to instantaneous perception without fixed contours, bound together by light and air. Cezanne wants to represent the object to find it again behind the atmosphere. He does not break up the tone as in pointillism, the optical blending of warm and cool colors we've discussed many times. Rather, he replaces this technique of the Impressionists with a progression of chromatic nuances across the object, a modulation of colors which stays close to the object's form and to the light it receives. 
The object is no longer covered by reflections and lost in its relationships to the atmosphere and other objects. It seems subtly illuminated from within. Light emanates from it. And the result is an impression of solidity and material substance. And that's all about the looking. You have to really study yes, this. Yes, you really it, do. And that's where Cezanne is, is a marvel. You have to kind of look at these forms in space, and yes. not to mention in the portrait. Yes, and I must say that I want to say right now that when I was uh, uh, getting ready for this show and I was doing this, oh my God, it's so fabulous! What you what the the change in your visual perception is really wonderful. <laughs> so, um, and also, Cezanne doesn't give up making the warm colors vibrate, but he achieves this chromatic sensation out of the use of blue. Cezanne's blue, ugh. When we visited Cezanne's studio, I swear that the shadows were blue. <laughs> they were. Look, human per visual perception is complex. The eye focuses on an extremely small area and moves around, and the brain integrates all of this moving around focus into a solid object, which has permanence in its location and its volume. In some way, Cezanne was top, tapping in intuitively, using his own perception into some of these effects. So once you've really taken in the whole picture, distortions of perspective are no longer visible in their own right, but they contribute, as they do in natural vision, to the impression of an emerging order, an object in the act of appearing, organizing itself before our eyes. If you look at an object, any ab object, you will see that according to which eye you are favoring, the contours shift. In Cezanne's drawings, he makes several contours. They are kind of often like little parentheses around the objects because there isn't one contour. And there's a great es essay, famous essay, by the philosopher Merleau-Ponty called Cezanne's Doubt. And that's what he is talking about. Mechanical perspective is a device to create space, but it's not true. You can never decide which contour is right. And so what Cezanne taught us is that without stories, sentiment, narrative, art stripped of all these, what can happen on the canvases and the challenges it puts on the viewer are enough. This opened the door to modern art. You know, there's a sense of, I always thought there was a little sense of like a minor wobble to the yes. objects in space, like they were kind of hovering in the space, which brings the space alive, literally. Right. And that, that's something that it, you might see in this mm -hmm. environment in this exhibition. The exhibition starts out with these early portraits, which are dark, heavily painted with a palette knife in an impasto technique. Here is, of uh, here is a course where brushwork is kind of working, and but it's pure inter intuitive painting. I think that's the important part. And he's painting with this raw, thoughtful energy. I call it an attack with the brush mm -hmm. and the palette knife, and I think that's uh, a good word to describe it. And his portrait of his uncle Dominique, as Sheila mentioned, are strong and heavy. The energy and bravado are enthusiastic of the subjects and their stances. Some some of them have uh, compositional flaws, which you would see in a young painter. Uh, there's a few paintings that are a little off in their composition. But he's experimenting and he's taking mm -hmm. risks. And I think that's uh, the beauty of it for a young artist with his craft. Yeah, it's his 
brushwork or his work with a palette knife looks blocky and unpolished. He used paint more like a bricklayer, <laughs> which is what my point is. His paint was like mortar. He was building the world. You know, I like that, Sheila. And as a young artist, he was really basically learning to paint, and he was mm-hmm. showing that. Well, the good learning experience of these portraits in that Cezanne, as young artists should do, is that he's breaking the planes in the face to create form. Mm-hmm. It's one tone versus another, and that's creating a uh, the, the physicality of the plane change, and he's mm-hmm. creating that with color and tone, and, and he's simplifying complex form because the face is quite complex. And this is very clear in the Dominique portraits, and, and it's also the, uh, the basically, pro, I call it proto-cubism. Yeah. He's beginning to break down the forms as the cubists mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, so did, and, but, and he's taking it further throughout his career. These early portraits also con- conjure up the works of Manet, a friend of his and one of my favorite painters and Gustave Courbet who is one of the bad boys of French painting in the mid 1800s and <clears throat> and these are two very fearless painters as well and they have affinity to Cezanne the simple palette uh, is very much Manet uh, with these rich blacks and grays and neutral tones that come in with hints of red and pinks so he's kind of mimicking Manet in some way. He outlines the figures in charcoal and sometimes in black painted lines, which kind of posterize the figure in a space. And I think Manet does that beautifully as well. And then there's Degas, which he also does that. And you see a lot of those paintings of the, in the National Gallery where there's a uh, a charcoal drawing edge to the paint and they don't clean up the edges. And that's something I find very, very wonderful. The process is coming through. Mm-hmm. But as Sheila mentioned, the portrait of his father is a masterpiece for that young painter, Cezanne. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, when you look at it, you really have to step back. It's a very large painting. It's a monumental work, a businessman, a money guy that looks like a peasant reading yeah. a newspaper. And that, to me, was the real kind of you know, click in there. And that newspaper he would have not have read because it was a much more radical, liberal paper okay. than... Uh, than um, he would have been reading, and, and Sheila mentioned that. So there's a bit of conflict in that, but it is a beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. It's a knockout. Yep. His feet. <laughs> They're great. So after you leave the room with the portraits of Dominique, there are two paintings, one of Hortense and one of their son, Paul, and they're they're put next to each other. They're, they're so tender. There's a real visual shift here. And is it because he has tenderness for them. They're lovely small paintings, and they have the soft form of young faces. The works are incredibly expressive, and the paint is thin. So he had learned about building with color. Now he can just do it with the color modulations without the substance of the paint. And that lets the light shine through his work now. And this is a big evolution uh, as the uh, exhibition uh, continues. When you enter the room, there's this majority of these Madame Hortense paintings, which is a creative shift in the use of the paint. And I think that's something that uh, all young artists need to in, in, investigate and in how they're going to play with the paint. Mm-hmm. Well, if you expect to be Cezanne to be the master of the brush, you'll be disappointed and you'll be puzzled. He, he didn't have Degas' talent or Renoir's for that feathery light touch. And it's, that's lovely. And he didn't have that natural way of subtly changing the sitter into someone relatable, a little prettier. 
Portraits traditionally make the sitter relatable, and that's what the sergeant quote comes in, the one about the portrait having something a little wrong with the mouth. The mouth is where the viewer sees the person. But when the model is sitting for hours, everything gets slack, everything droops, the face becomes expressionless. expressionless. So a good portrait painter was able to give life to the faces by subtly fooling around, especially with that little adjustment of the line between the lips and maybe giving a slight uplift to the corners of the mouth. The Mona Lisa is a perfect example of that. You know, they're always trying to study what is she thinking? What is she (laughs) feeling? It's the artist's job to make that subject come alive. But Cezanne didn't do that. Cezanne had not a particle of sentiment, but he had a depth of feeling. In the purest way, he painted what was in front of him and trusted that his true feeling would come through. I think it's so interesting that the paintings of women are at least, in my view, less sympathetic than the men. With men, something soft and expressive just naturally came out of his brush. I don't think he intended the men or women to be any different, but I think maybe just naturally more sympathetic to men. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So Cezanne displaced the expressive power of the portrait from the traditional conventions of likeness and identity to the overall design of the picture and above all to the abstract pleasures of color. Well, some of the works in the exhibition appear to be painted with the help of the camera, Mm -hmm. and I think that's very, very important for this time of period in French art. And many artists in Cezanne circles were beginning to use the photograph as a tool and an aid in capturing their subject. Edgar Degas, the French painter, most notably known for his ballerina works of the stage and, and, and theater, his horse track paintings, was an early champion of the use of the camera. Several portraits in the exhibition take on the look of the aid of the camera. Now, how do I know that? Well, it says so on the labels, <laughs> but you can tell. <laughs> you can also tell when you look at them. They're somewhat flattened, and the photograph uh, flattens uh, real space. And since uh, many times the light is not controlled as carefully in the photograph, you get some some distortions in space and value. And that depends, of course, on the quality of the photo. Another distinction might be the background environment, which probably is invented in many of these paintings. Mm -hmm. And so they don't visually coincide as clearly as they do with the other portraits where the Mm -hmm. sitter is there, and it's a much more controlled environment for the artist. So uh, take a look at these portraits, if you can find them, and and, uh, see how the camera alters things. And it's also mentioned in the labels, like I said. And then, again, it comes to this point of experimentation and innovation and exploration. Uh, We're going to take a short break in a bit, and we're going to get back, and Sheila's going to talk about her personal views on Cezanne and Madame Hortense and that relationship. Be your mirror, reflect what you are. Case you don't know, I'll be the wind, the rain and the sunset, the light on your door. Show that you're home when you think the night has seen your mind. Then aside your twisted and unkind, let me stand to show. That you are blind Please put down your hand 
cause I see you darkness so you won't be afraid when you think the night has seen your mind that inside you're twisted and unkind oh baby let me stand to show that you are blind please put down your hand cause I see you Listening to the Artist Experience Radio Program here at WOWD Tacoma Radio 94.3 FM. Today we are discussing the work of the painter Paul Cezanne. This is a show that we are repeating from a couple of years ago on his portrait exhibit. Well, I've been thinking about these portraits, maybe even of the word portrait. It's a complicated thing. After all, a picture of a live human being is not the same as a picture of an onion. Onion Feelings will come through. There's a lot of speculation about Cezanne's marriage, sort of like the speculation of Donald Trump and Melania. What is she thinking? <laughs> These portraits of Hortense span over 20 years, and even though she gets older, she was pretty stoic to begin with. Paul Cezanne was quoted as saying, my life likes only lemonade and Switzerland, which is a real put-down. But in a film that was made about the exhibit, there's a letter from Hortense to her friend, and she's very empathetic, how hard her husband works with no recognition. It had been hard for her, raising their son and far from family and friends, and Paul wasn't exactly a social guy. She was not allowed into his family, and his friends were intellectuals, artists and writers, which Hortense was not. And whoever she was, she wouldn't have been led into the circle of men anyway. For each painting, Hortense might sit for 150 sittings. I read that the last portraits of her in the red dress were at once monumental and remote, but it's impossible to, to discern what she was feeling. But during that time, Paul and Hortense were living apart much of the time. He would be in Paris or Aix, and she would be with her son. And so the idea that she was remote because they had become distant from one another makes sense. Well, yeah, that, that room with the uh, Hort, Madame Hortense uh, portraits by Suzanne is a very interesting on, on many psychological levels and emotional levels. Well, 
I kept on looking at those portraits, and it was that same red dress in many of them. And then it kind of hit me. Uh, the the uh, gaze and the head and the neck were kind of cocked a little off you know, the straight line, and they were a little at an angle. And it kind of reminded me of sitting portraits of the Virgin Mary that that you would see uh, in, in Catholic, uh, you know, visuals uh, in France, for sure, and in the, in the Renaissance. And I'm sure that Cezanne was uh, very familiar with those. And I said to myself, well, look, they're almost like Madonna portraits. And, of mm. course, I'm not talking about the singer. I'm talking about, you know, the religious <laughs> the religious. Uh, you know, figure, and then that slight cock of the head to me was very curious. It was, a, it's a very awkward pose. Mm-hmm. You, people don't usually sit like that, and uh, and I'm sure it comes through from some kind of a recognition of this imagery. And the color choice is very curious because crimson and blue are the only real choices that you have in a traditional uh, depiction of the Virgin Mary. So that really kind of hit me as well. And coincidentally, Madame Hortense, you know, is is constantly in this crimson dress. And uh, there was something quirky about that. Maybe it was her only dress. I'm not sure. But, uh, I mean, it could have been consistent. Um, I mean, it could have been not consistent. I mean, it was very consistent in that room. And and I'm not kind of alluding to the emotional relationship between, you know, the Virgin Mary and, and Madame Hortense. I just think that there was something that Cezanne might have been inspired by. Mm-hmm. And that, that quir- really was quirky to me. Uh, and so uh, it's important to place that you know the pl- place her in in that kind of um framework because one of the things about these paintings is the absolute tremendous environment about around her which i think was very strong and one of the things i want to talk about also is that there are a few paintings in the, in the gallery which are uh related to pointillism or divisionalism which you had mentioned and it's a concept of kind of crude optical blending and he was friends with paul Signac, which was one who was one of the point and we, and this kind of blending of two colors uh, opposite on the uh, color wheel uh, uh, is very important in, in post-impressionist paintings. But uh, the paintings of his friend Victor Choquette was uh, from 1876 are very much in that crude, pointless way. And I mm-hmm. think uh, it's good to take a look at how he uses color. And again, it's another stepping stone to this later proto-cubism. Yeah. And he's, again, searching for his voice, and that's that's one of the great things about this mm-hmm. exhibition. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I, I just have to say that the most difficult thing for me in doing this show is continuing to believe in my own work because Cezanne sets a standard for purity, and he has the highest purpose. Sometimes a painting will be dated having been worked on over 10 years a long time ago, I saw one of his still lifes in the Jus de Pomme, and it looked very strange. The top didn't flow into the bottom. There was uh, too much of a separation, and I kept looking at it, looking at it. You could tell that he worked on it a long time. And so it was quite an elaborate still life. So I went down to the bookstore, and I looked. And, of course, they just kept on calling it a masterpiece. But I did find this one book that... Whoever wrote it agreed that the painting was not resolved, and it made me feel better. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it always it always feels better when you're kind of onto something new. Yeah. Uh, well, well, looking again, it's about the looking. You're studying the work, and I think that's very important. Well, you know, my introduction and interest with Cezanne, as probably many of our listeners, was in the landscape. That's how I, I discovered mm-hmm. Cezanne as a landscape mm-hmm. painter. So here's where Cezanne shines, and he shines because. Uh, it's an important place in his heart. He's painting in the town, his environment in, in Aix-en-Provence, in the, you know, um, you know the, the, the mountains around there. And so this is kind of his base camp. And I think this is very important for an artist that he found a place to experiment and to invent. And I think he was less distracted there. And I think that's very intuitive about the nature of his works. But I think this exhibition is amazing because I think the portrait becomes the landscape. And he's pulling harmonies in nature and making his portraits more natural in tone and hue. His works are becoming more earthly and earthy, both at the mm-hmm. same time. He is painting the common folk like card players, the smokers, housemaids, peasants, his son. From the patches of color come dashes of color. And then he's totally abandoned the palette knife. So this brush is becoming more and more important. And his palette is definitely more luminous mm-hmm. at the end of the exhibition, which is like his landscapes. So uh, I think that's a really important growth in that there's a transparency of the work uh, through the brush stroke and through the, the colors, and that's what we see. So to, to look at the evolution of the works in each gallery is an important part of the ex- exhibition. And these parallel marks that he uses are very diagonal with these touches of paint with the brush. And sometimes they're diagonal, sometimes they're vertical, sometimes they're light and airy. They're very fleeting and they blend to each other to create form. And something about it says it's kind of, he might have even been looking at Asian Mm -hmm. art at that time, which many artists were. There's a kind of lightness and atmosphere to the works, even in the portraits. So Cezanne is breaking just about every rule, and one of them, as you mentioned earlier, is on spatial and linear perspective. And there's that fantastic painting of Gustave Jeffrey uh, uh, in, in, the, in the exhibition with all these books on this desk. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a very large painting. It's absolutely fantastic, and you kind of get sucked into the place and the space. And this is a very ambitious piece by Cezanne because the perspectives are all off. Yeah. But then when you look... Yeah, it's a great painting. Yeah, because you look at him, you look down at the desk, you're looking in all the directions that you would be looking if you were really looking at this. Right. I mean, it works. It works as a unit, and there's so many... You know, he's pulling the strings on so many rules Mm -hmm. in so many ways. If you just joined us, you're listening to the Artist Experience radio program here at WOWD Tacoma Radio 94.3 94.3 FM. Today, we are repeating a show that we did on the work of Paul Cezanne. So, uh, I can't possibly not mention the best painting in this show to me. And not just in this exhibit, but ever. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's the boy in the red waistcoat. Luckily, that belongs in the National Gallery, so you can see it anytime. And the model, who seems to be maybe 15 years old, he's posed in a sort of opposition to the picture plane. And the drapery is perfectly supporting the direction of the figure. 
the boy's elbow going back from his waist, his look a little out, but a little down. Maybe he's 14 years old. I think this is where, if you compare this painting with, with say, a Goya, which may have been painted 100 years before, you will see the achievement that Cezanne brought into this painting. Because it's not just a picture, it's a whole sculptural environment from which emerges a boy. He's here and not wholly here, coming out of the shadows. But every part of the painting, the pants, the face, the curtains, and the piece of the chair contribute to the movement of the composition and the light. Well, Picasso had to know that painting. Yeah, he did. There's, there's he did. no doubt about right, that. Right, right. Uh, well, one of the things that, that we've talked about throughout the show is about this concept of space and environment. And this is so important in Cezanne. Remember, he liked to be in nature. He liked to be in environments. And his paintings of the portrait create environments as well. And as a student of art, I think it's important to address environment of a painting. And what do I mean by that? We paint the subject, and then we have the rest of the canvas around it. Well, many times people underestimate the power of the background. Well, the word background is a really horrible word, and I always substitute it for the word environment instead of background. The word background makes it seem unimportant, but in fact, it's crucial in every painting, and Cezanne makes a big deal about his environments with color, energy, mark, and direction. Cezanne attends his environment in his works, and they become magic. Take a look at the space around these portraits. They're very, very exciting. The peasant in a blue smock from 1897, the portrait of the artist's son from a few years earlier. Cezanne's environments are very well thought out, and they're very beautiful. He betrays the often dull environments of the neutral tone that you usually see in portraits mm -hmm. in years before mm -hmm. him. He makes them much more exciting. It's filled with cool greens, lavenders, and pale blues. I mean, there's these chromatic harmonies that are really tints of color. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And then his portrait, a self-portrait with a beret, which is an absolute winner, with great luminosity and tones. It's a quirky work, as the artist seemed tired yet proud of his sitting. Take a look at the spaces in these uh, sub around the subjects. Uh, the the brushes alive in in movement, in direction, and color. It's kind of reminiscent of the uh, uh, works of El Greco and Jackson Pollock, actually early Jackson mm. Pollock, where he Jackson Pollock is definitely looking at El Greco. But the space around the subjects becomes very active and alive, uh -huh. and that's important for a young painter to understand. Yes, it is important. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to make my case. Cezanne freed painting from the picture. He opened the door to space, not perspectival space, but space, the time that your eye travels endlessly in space, and how he does it with color, with line, not disguising his methods, but really showing you how it's done. Yes, and, and the end of the exhibition is kind of an interesting twist because here, he in some ways... He goes back to the thicker paint with these two large paintings of the Gardener Valier, which are very interesting, and, and, and they have them next to each other by comparison. They're dark, introspective, and heavy, but they're really not portraits. I see them as very, very kind of wild landscapes. The layering and the laboring of the paint 
is very evident in those works. And the color is quite intense and, and beautiful. To me, this is Cezanne's last hurrah in paint. I found them almost autobiographical. He's tired, he sits in a darkness, and the mood of acceptance after a long day's work in paint. Uh, it's an interesting way to end the show. But I have to leave uh, the show to talk about the one skull painting in the exhibition, mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting that they put that in there. It's a portrait of a decayed person. It is a portrait. <laughs> and it, it's uh, one lone skull on the table, but it's really alive. And uh, Cezanne loved painting skulls, and he had them in the studio. And I, I kind of like painting skulls as well. Well, skulls mean a lot of things to different people from different faith journeys. And Cezanne painted a lot of expressive skulls. The metaphor and symbology is pretty obvious to me. Is it prophetic? Is he contemplating his mortality? We'll never know. We won't know. But uh, looking at Cezanne is, for me, a lifetime of learning and of pleasure. And because of what we said earlier, Cezanne can be harder. He requires more attention. If you just look and look away and move on, you'll have seen nothing. What what is there is something monumental like Mount Rushmore or Mount Saint-Victoire. So I'm just going to take one painting, an 1877 portrait of Hortense. She's probably 22 years old. She was a dressmaker and she made herself very wonderful outfits. And so she's in one of these beautiful, it's a blouse and then a striped satin skirt, the kind of that shines according to the light. And at first, the painting looks flat. She's not looking out at you or really anywhere to do with you. She's kind of expressionless, sitting a little stiff, stiffly in a red chair. And then you see the volume of her and of the chair and how the blues, the subtle blue with gray-green, violet cream, how they all work together so you can feel the substance of her body and her hands in her lap. And then the skirt comes forward also, almost to fill the bottom of the painting and the blues in the pattern of the wallpaper are get bouncing against the green golds and her face doesn't take over. It's just a part of everything else. And the whole thing, the color, the drawn lines angle like a road map, taking you all over the painting, not just the figure, but from corner to corner. And the whole thing comes alive. And the red in the chair is exquisite because it's a painting, not of someone, but like a beautiful landscape where mass and directions your eye travels to them. And if you're going to wonder about anything, was she happy or bored, or how did she feel about her artist's husband, wonder if she knew that she would become the subject of this masterpiece. Well, thank you for that, Sheila. The exhibition at the National Gallery of Art is an important show about invention and innovation in the journey of an artist. And this is an important show for any art enthusiast or visual artist. I believe the portrait was not Cezanne's strong suit, but he integrated it in his evolution and for his visual voice, and he encompasses the portrait in a beautiful way, and they evolve as the artist also did. This evolution is so imperative for an artist to find their visual voice in their mediums that they choose. Uh, Cezanne starts out very basic with the concept of the portrait and he takes it further and further in his marks, his color choices, and his sensibilities in space and composition. This is a very healthy process for an artist and with the evolution comes failure, risk, and personal growth. 
Stay tuned to the next exciting program with our own Bobby Hill. Hi, Bobby. And Clay Fink, This Music. Bobby and Clay share their incredible knowledge and musical depth on Saturdays, every Saturday from 10 until 1 p.m. Avant-garde jazz right here. Keep that dial fixed for Bobby and Clay to take over and give you that jazzy vibe for your Saturday afternoon. And we invite you to listen every other Saturday between 8 and 9 a.m. to Robin's Radio. It is an opportunity to listen to radio for our youth, and it will bring in the kid and everyone, including us. And listen every other Sunday from 8 to 10 p.m. for our friend Gail Barron's Night Ride Home. Gail serves up in a selective mix of songs from singer-songwriters old and new. Don't forget to tune in next Saturday in our time slot from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. to Lost Treasures with DJ Mackey. Mackey shares great treasures from a host of musical genres. And we invite you to go to our website, TacomaRadio.org, and look for the program schedule. There's so much fantastic music, talk shows, interviews, and community news from so many diverse people at this radio station. Go online and see the programming and experience art in everything you do. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks. Thank you.